From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. We're starting a we're starting a new series today based off a series of talks in a book by author and pastor Levi Lusco called I Declare War. I Declare War. And I'm just thinking, you know, we've, uh, we started, if you were here last week and you've kind of been hanging around social media a little bit, we started a, a challenge of 21 days of prayer fasting last Monday. Many of you have been participating in that. You've been joining in on the challenge. I actually love hearing um, just how people are, are on board with it. It's encouraging. It's exciting. Can I just encourage you, you know, in part of what we'll be talking about in this series, and as you begin that challenge, that it's, it's, it's a challenge. It's, it's difficult. <laughs> when you choose to fast, it's not meant to be easy. And so if you're like, man, I didn't, I didn't realize this is going to be difficult, it is, because you're denying your flesh. You're denying your flesh, and you're choosing to focus in on God, and there's a number of things that happen with that. One is your just natural tendency is towards self-gratification, and whether it's food or, you know, maybe it's, you know, you're doing a media fast. Our natural tendency is towards those things, to just go towards things that make us feel good, and so to deny that is difficult, and on the spiritual aspect, the enemy advances, right? When you push back and you say, no, I'm going to declare war, for myself, for my region, for my church. The enemy doesn't like that, and he pushes, he pushes back. And so it's going to be difficult, but I encourage you to keep on, keep going, uh, keep moving forward, because on the other end of that, we're going to see breakthrough, I believe. I really, truly believe that. Um, so thank you for being a part of that. Uh, whether you uh, recognize it or not, you are at war. Whether you see it or not, you are at war in every hour and every minute from the moment you wake up, the moment you go to sleep. We're at war in every location, every place. Life is a battleground. And I think we know that. I think when we go throughout our day and we go throughout our week and, and we go to, to our workplaces and we go to school and, and we interact, we, we, we feel that, right? We feel the, the war. We feel the battle. And the Bible tells us this in a number of places. I love what Jesus said. I like to point out what Jesus said because I feel like people pay more attention when Jesus talks than the other people in the scriptures, although all scripture is God-breathed, so all scripture actually is directed and spoken by Jesus. But Jesus said this. He says, in this life, you will have trouble. He didn't say, in this life, you will have an easy life. Everything will be peachy, rainbows and lollipops for everybody. He didn't say that. He said, you'll have trouble. There's war. There's difficulty. It's a battleground that we, that we face and the Bible actually give us a number, a, a three different sources uh, for this battle, three enemies that are working against us. And the first is the devil, just straight off the top, going right there, the devil. He's a fallen angel who's bent on destroying all the goodness of God. And he is working against you as a, as a believer, as you, as you move forward in your faith. He is pushing against you because he hates God. He hates God. And usually when we, when we say in songs or, you know, we say from the, from the stage or the platform or, or you're interacting, when we say our enemy, we're referring to Satan. He's our adverse, adversary. And, and, and as we move forward in our faith journey, as we open up the scriptures, as we declare war for our, our faith journey, for the spirit of God, he's going he's gonna to push back. The second enemy 
is uh, the world. And this is not the physical world. This is not planet Earth and the people in the world. We're not, we're not, the, the Earth is not our enemy, right? The population of Earth is not our enemy, but the, the value system, the ideologies, the worldview of the world that is in strike contrast to, to biblical values, we're at war with. And as you set yourself up as a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, you, you, you proclaim that Jesus is Lord, then you've chosen to live a life You've chosen a set of values. You've chosen a worldview that is different than the, the values and the worldview of this world. And so you're going to feel the tension. You're going to feel the temptation. You're going to feel the opposition as you try to live a life that is different. So we have, the, we have the devil. We have the world. And scripture often refers to the world. Again, it's not planet Earth. It's not your neighbor. <laughs> it's, it's the values and worldview. And finally, our last enemy, the final enemy that is in this war is our flesh. The Bible often calls this our sinful nature. This is the inner part of ourself that lends itself towards sin. You know, as much as we like to believe it or not, yes, we are saints in the sight of God for those of you who know the scriptures. That if, that if you believe in Jesus, your sins are forgiven and so God no longer sees you as a sinner but he sees you as a saint, but we're still sinners. We still sin. We still, we, again, our, our natural tendency is, to, is self-gratification, right? I just wanna please my flesh. I want to please myself. You know, I like to say this, this way, that this enemy's name is ourself. And probably the, the greatest struggle you will have, the greatest battle you will face, more often than not, is not against the devil, although he will work against you, although he's scheming against you, although he'll fight against you. It's not against the world, although you'll feel the, the opposition and you'll feel the tension and you'll feel the reality of living a life that is different. It's against yourself. The greatest battle you face is every single day against yourself. The Bible talks about this battle as the battle between the flesh and the spirit. There's a tension there. As you seek to live differently than the world around you, as you seek to live for Christ, there's a, there's a tension between your natural tendency to be a sinner. And so we're in a, in, a, in a war, and the greatest enemy, I believe, in this is ourselves. There's a famous British graffiti artist known by the name... Banksy, he's an anonymous artist known for creating um, political and satirical art. One of his famous paintings called The Girl with Balloon was sold in a fine auction house, in a, in a fine art auction house in, um, in England for $1.4 million. And it was, it was, it was placed in this, this solid gold-looking uh, frame and set on a wall to protect it from others. And so everyone, if you know the story, you might, have, you might have heard of it. Everyone's in this auction house auctioning, or the auctioneer goes, and everyone's bidding for this, this beautiful piece of, of art that's hanging protected on this wall. But little did they know that the greatest threat to this painting were not the people in the room. It was what was inside the frame of this painting. And so when the auctioneer said sold and he hit the hammer down, all of a sudden, the, the painting started to, to move down the frame, and at the bottom of the frame, built inside, was a shredder, and it started to shred the painting. The moment, at the most critical moment, I want you to check this out on the screen here.
$1.4 million, someone just bid on that. And everyone thought that the greatest threat to this painting were the people around us. It was in this solid frame, but little did they realize that the greatest threat came from within. And the same was with us. Our greatest battle that we face, the greatest struggle, the greatest threat comes from within us. Paul, the apostle, um, felt this. Paul is a, is a you know, New Testament apostle, scholar, teacher, influential leader. He wrote a significant chunk of the New Testament. A lot of our, our teachings and, and theology, a lot of what we base our, our, our New Testament Christian living off of is based off of some of what he said. But he talked about this battle that he faced. He talked about the struggle that he faced inside of himself. And some of you remember Romans chapter 7. He says, what I want to do, I don't do. And what I, what I don't want to do, I do that. And for me, this is super encouraging because I look at Paul the Apostle and I'm like, man, this is the man, right? Like, he, he was... He, he even came against Peter, Peter the Apostle, right? The great rock that built the church kind of thing. He came against Peter when Peter had a moment of sinfulness. Paul was a, Paul was a, was a phenomenal teacher. He was, he was full of wisdom, full of knowledge, right? He had this radical transformation by God where he was on, on road in, 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 in courage and in boldness to persecute Christians because he was so opposed to them. And God got a hold of his life, changed it, and then immediately he went on preaching for the gospel. Here's Paul the apostle, wrote a significant chunk of the New Testament letter, says, what I want to do, I don't do it. And the things that I don't want to do, I do those things. So he talked about this, this battle and this struggle, the fight that's within us, and we fight this fight right? We fight this fight. We fight against things like anxiety, moodiness, right? Maybe we're a version of ourselves we don't want to be. We fight against selfishness. We fight against um, narcissism. Some of us can't go past any sort of reflection without taking a little peek, right? In a puddle, icy road. We fight against depression, as Pastor Mitch talked about, mental health, suicidal thoughts. We, we numb the pain that is in us, right? Maybe that's, for some of us, something that's a little bit lighter, like shopping. We just, like, we got to numb the pain, although it's a problem that's within. Or maybe that's a little bit more significant. We turn to narcotics. We turn to drugs. We abuse alcohol. Maybe some of us, just to numb the pain, we spend hours scrolling in social media, Hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. We do things and we deal with things every day that are not good for us. So it is time that we declare war. It's time that we declare war against ourselves. It's time that we declare war. We will never be at our best if we keep treating ourselves the worst. And so it starts with a declaration of war, and that is a fighting stance. When you set your heart and your mind in a singular direction. Levi Lesko, the pastor and author of this book, I Declare War, in the series of talks, he, he shares the story of Teddy Roosevelt, the 26th president of the United States. Teddy Roosevelt was the first president. I know we're Canadian. It's okay. Well, it's just a story. We'll go there. Teddy Roosevelt was the, the first uh, president to actually ride in an airplane while in office, to, have, to ride in a submarine while in office, to have a car and a phone in his home. He was, he was the first president to, to win the Nobel Peace Prize. 
And he received also um, the Medal of Honor for his involvement in the Spanish-American War in 1898. Now, during that war, he was the secretary assistant to the Navy, and he was said to be very passionate about battle, although he never got to go to battle. When he finally got to go to battle, it was the battle for, for the San Juan Hill. Now, he put, to get, put together a group of misfit um, volunteer cavalry known as the Rough Riders, and they took charge of the San Juan Hill. And there's a moment in his journals where he describes the moment where he committed to the action that was set before him. He's on the field. Imagine a battlefield. He's on the battlefield, and he's crossing a barbed wire fence. And it says in that moment, he committed to the action, and he felt the power of a wolf rise within him. And, and, and people, the, the witnesses had described what he fought like after that, and they said he fought and acted like a man possessed. Not because he was possessed, but because he determined himself to the action that was set before him. He was all in. And as we declare war on the battle that was in, that's within us, the wolf will rise. Metaphorically, okay? We can relax a little bit. Yes, the Bible talks about the wolf in, a, in bad ways. Wolves in sheep's clothing, we got to be careful where it also talks about dogs, right? It says beware of dogs, but we all keep them as house pets, okay? So it's, it's all good here. Wolves are, are intelligent, fierce, loving pack animals. They have large leadership abilities and strong emotional range. They develop such strong social bonds within their community, within their family, that it's said that wolves are willing to sacrifice themselves for the good of the pack. And we could learn something like that in churches sometimes, right? It says that, that all members of the pack pitch in to raise wolf pups. The mothers share in the responsibility of feeding and taking care of the pups. Kind of, kind of sounds like the early church, right? When they just sacrificed everything and willing to give to those in need. They're in touch with emotions like sympathy and, and, and joy, guilt, sadness, playfulness, grief. So to be a wolf is not just to be this fierce war. It's actually to be a loving nurturer. But they are determined animals, they're incredibly determined animals. And as we set our heart and our mind on the battle that rages within us, then we need to be determined. We needed to be determined and to declare war. And the first area that we need to declare war on, which we're going to talk about this morning, is we need to declare war on what we think. We need to declare war on what we think. We need to change the way we think, because you are what you think. You are what you think. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7 says, For as he thinks within himself, so he is. You are what you think. That's where the battle begins. What you think within yourself will quite literally alter who you become. What happens in our minds is super important because more often than not, what we think impacts and influences what we feel. And what we feel is often where the battle rages. I'm feeling a certain way, so I struggle. I'm tempted because I'm feeling a certain way and I give in to that temptation. And so if we can, if we can change the way we feel, we can take reins on the emotions we can, take, we can take the struggle, we can take the fight back and possibly change the way we feel. And ultimately, we know that our feelings dictate our actions. So what we think determines what we feel, and what we feel determines 
how we act. So if we can change the way we think, maybe we can alter the way we feel and get a little hold on the, on the fight. You with me so far? Because you are what you think. My son, uh, Eli, um, I was thinking about this. He's going to hate when he's older how much I use him in sermon <laughs> illustrations. There's going to come a day when he's like, Dad, you can't do it anymore. I'm going to have to respect that. <laughs> but right now, he's all I got. So we, uh, this past week, we got him this, uh, this, downloaded this game on a tablet for him. Where you, I think I shared this last week, where you have to get this ball from one end of the screen to the other end in this U-shaped kind of end zone. But there's, there's challenges to get there. And as you progress, each level gets more and more harder and more difficult. It gets more challenging. And he's at this, this age, which is incredibly frustrating and difficult for a parent to hear. He's at this age where he's starting to say, I can't do it. I'm not good enough. He's six years old, and he's already there. He's six years old, and he's already saying, I'm not good enough. How many of you are still saying those words? Right? How many of us are still battling and struggling with that? He's like, I'm not good enough. I can't do it. And he puts it down. And I think, how many of us give up that easily, right? We think, I can't do it. I don't have what it takes. And so we give up. We give up the fight. Now, I could have took it from him, and I could have tried it. Actually, there were some levels which I'm like, I, there's no way I can do this. And he figured it out, right? But I didn't because I knew if I took it then that I'm just going to feed into the fact that he can't do it and he needs me. And so I said, I, was, I didn't even look at what was on, on the screen. I, I wasn't even aware of what the challenge was, but I knew the game. And so I said, buddy, why don't, you, why don't you just try again, but think differently about the challenge. And I wasn't even connecting this to what we're t- talking about today, but I was like, why don't you just think differently? Because I was thinking maybe he's trying one way over and over again, and it's not working. So, so try something different. Think differently about the challenge. And so he did it, and it was like literally a second. He kind of went, huh, oh, I did it. Like instantly, huh, oh, I did it. I did it. You can grab a hold of the inner struggle by changing the way you think. I'm not saying that changing the way you think will, will win the war. I'm not saying that changing the way you think will alter what you feel. But you can take hold of the reins of what you feel. Scriptures say a lot about changing our minds. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, If you were raised with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Set your mind. Fix your gaze. Lock in on on target. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We know probably this one really well for those of you who have been in church around enough. And do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So if you want to live right, if you don't want to conform to the world, then you got to change your thinking. If you want to live for Jesus and not live as the world lives, you got to change your thinking. And then he says, you may be able to, to, to prove what is good and acceptable, perfect will of God. Matthew chapter 22 Verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Do you know what I think in in churches, especially charismatic ones, we tend to do the mind thing really poorly. We do the the heart thing because we base on what we're feeling. I feel good. I love the Lord, but not, not the mind. But we love the Lord with our mind. 
Finally, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. This one will be on the screen because it's, it's good for today. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Why? Because you are what you think. Because you are what you think. You know, and often our thinking becomes so negative. Right? Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I just want to have a bad day. I think I'm going to have a bad day today. And so we just start thinking all things and doing things to have a bad day. We don't. But all of us have, have thought thoughts in a way, have dwelt our minds on certain things that have led to a bad day. Right? We've all encountered stuff and we've chosen to allow that, those things that we've encountered permeate our brains in such a way that it becomes a bad day. But no one wakes up and says, I want to worry a lot today. Or I really feel like being, I, this is an anxious kind of day. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be anxious about things. Or I'm going to, you know, I really feel like doubting, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow a lot of doubt to just, you know, I want turmoil today. Today is a turmoil day. Let me just dwell in turmoil. Nobody does that. But we've all been there. But negative thoughts can't lead to a positive life. Seems really simple, right? Negative thoughts can't lead to a positive life. Negative thoughts can't lead to victory. Negative, negative thoughts lead to, lead to more negativity. So if negative thoughts lead, lead to negative feelings, then negative feelings lead to negative actions. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, whatever is positive, true, Right, pure, noble, praiseworthy, excellent. Let that permeate through your mind. Take back the reins on what you feel by changing the way you think and allowing those true, noble, lovely, admirable things to move through your mind. This is not a mind over matter thing, okay? I'm not, I'm not going there. But what we think matters. What we think matters. So what kind of thinking are you allowing up there? What kind of thoughts are you letting dwell in your cerebrum? You know, you can't always control what pops up, but we can, we can control what stays there. I said this, um, you know, I've been reflecting a lot on the fact that we're in January, and it was in January, beginning of January, that I preached the call to come and, and be lead pastor here at this church. Beginning of March, we, we started our position here. So I've been reflecting a lot on that. And in, in one of the first series I did, we went through the book of Joshua. And I believe it was probably the first message on March 3rd, 2019. I shared what, you, what you're looking for will determine what you see. I don't know if you remember that because you didn't preach the sermon. But I did and I remember it. What you're looking for will determine what you see. What you're looking for, you will see. What you set your eyes on will determine what you find. This is how our minds work. If you're searching for it, you're going to find it. If you're looking for it, you're going to find it. Again, we can't control what pops up, but we can control what remains. There's a difference between a thought popping up in our mind and a thought popping up there and us dwelling on it and thinking about it and meditating on it and reflecting on it and letting that just sit there. There's a difference. Again, you don't have to think about everything that you feel. But you will feel everything you think about. You will feel everything that you think about. Arnold Zwinky, a Stanford professor, called this the frequency illusion. 
He said this, once you've noticed a phenomenon, you think it happens a whole lot, even all the time. So if there's something about whatever you're looking for, you find that, that causes you to think there's more of that thing than there actually is. For example, anybody bought a new car here? Or a new to you car here? I've been, I've been looking for a new car. You're, you're like locked in on this one kind of car. All of a sudden, that car's everywhere, right? This happened to us. We bought a Dodge Grand Caravan a few years back, and all of a sudden, everybody just copied us, and there's Dodge Grand Caravans everywhere. And I thought, man, we are trend setting right now because nobody knew about these vehicles until we got them, and all of a sudden, everywhere. I can't go a day without seeing a Dodge Grand Caravan that's not my own. I literally cannot go a day. There are no more Dodge Grand Caravans. They, the exact same amount is out there. These people had them. Maybe a few bought them after us. But because I'm, I'm focusing on it now, I'm in the frequency illusion. I'm focusing on it, so I'm seeing more of it, right? There's not more or less. It's just what I'm focusing on now. You tracking with me? So for example, if someone says something or someone's really mean to me, and I expect them to be mean again, then everything that they do and don't do and everything that they say and don't say, how I interact with them, I'm going to be looking for the mean. I'm going to be watching the mean, right? It's not, it's not more there than it was before. I'm just looking for it. And then when it happens, I'm like, see, I knew it. I knew it. You're a mean person. And they may have been mean, but it's not that they're more mean than they were before. It's just I'm looking for the mean. What I'm looking for, I will see. The frequency illusion. The more you look for bad things in your life, the more you're going to see those things in your life. The more you focus on the negative, the more you're going to see the negative. The more you focus on the evil, the more you're going to see the evil. The more you focus on the problem, the more you're going to see the problem. The more you focus on the doubt, the more doubt you're going to see. The more worry you focus on, the more worry you're going to see. You tracking with me, right? The opposite is true as well. The opposite is true as well. What if instead of looking for bad, I chose to look for good? Like, like determined, right? I'm declaring war, and so I'm determining to look for good. I maybe have been focusing on bad for a while, but I'm determining now to look for good. What if I determined in my mind and started looking for good? What if I trained my mind to see more and more positivity by changing what I'm looking for? This is taking a step ahead of, of the thought. But if I change the way I think, I can possibly alter the way I feel. So what if I trained my thinking by choosing to look for good, and positive, pure, noble, praiseworthy, worthy, excellent, then I'd train my, my brain, my mind, to think about pure, noble, praiseworthy, excellent, good, positive. And then I would maybe possibly alter the way I feel and then my feelings, which tend to often dictate my behavior, my behavior would change. You tracking with that? Very practical, very simple. I can't think about negative things when I'm thinking about positive things. What if I looked for the beauty in life instead of the decay? I'm going to invite the worship team to come. What if I looked for the righteous things in life instead of the sinful things? 
What if I looked for the pure and holy things instead of the toxic and tainted? What if I looked for the excellent in what's happening, the praiseworthy instead of the wrong? What if I chose to see how God is at work and not how the devil is at play? What if I chose to look at at such things? Do you know what would happen? I would see those things. I'd get caught up in a frequency illusion. And all of a sudden, I'd start to see the good that was already there. I'd start to see the holy that was already there. I'd start to see the pure that was always there. I'd start to see the positive that was always there. Because it's not more or less, I'm just choosing to focus in on it now. And I've taught my brain to focus in on it now. Here's Here's what Jesus said. He says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body is also full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body is also full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Now, I love what Jesus says because he didn't say, your eyes are the lamp of your body, so make sure you're looking at good things. He just says if your eyes are healthy or unhealthy. Because I think Jesus recognizes the good and the bad is out there. But what, how, can you, how can you fix your eyes on the good? If negative thinking leads to a negative life, then positive thinking leads to a positive life. So if I change the way I'm looking at stuff, I can change the way I think, and then I could take the reins back on what I feel, and I could get a leg up on the struggle. Now the secret, I want to say this, the secret is not to stop thinking about the negative. I got to stop thinking about that. I'm declaring war. I got to stop thinking about that. It's not, because that's not going to work. It's choosing to think about good, because the good pushes out the bad, right? And you may be this person that says, well, I don't see any good. I don't see any good. Where is the good in this situation? Again, you're not looking for the good in the situation. That situation may not be a good situation, but just look for good in general. Look for good elsewhere, because as you begin to focus on the good, eventually you get caught up in the frequency illusion. I start noticing good. I start seeing good, and I start seeing positive. And all of a sudden, that situation looks a little bit different. I didn't find it in there. I found it somewhere else, and I brought it into that situation. Right? I didn't, I didn't find the good in what I'm going through. I found the good somewhere else, and I brought the good with me into that situation. Are you tracking with me a little bit? I'm declaring war. I'm declaring war. You can't accidentally be negative when you're being intentionally positive. So we set our hearts and our minds resolutely on declaring war on what we think. You know, I think there's people, and I think all of us, not just people, I think all of us need to declare war on what we think. We need to declare war on what we think. Because even the best of us, even the most positive people in this room can, can become negative. We get caught up in it. Someone says something, and then the enemy's working against us too, right? Oh yeah, did you hear what they said? man, I heard that, yeah. And we just, we let it cycle and we dwell and we, we focus. And all of a sudden, our outlook is completely shifted. We can look at our work differently. We can look at our school differently. We can look at our neighbors, our family. We can look at the church differently. Now, someone I know is probably thinking, I've been thinking this way for so long that there's no way I can change. I've been, I've been thinking so negatively for so long that I, I, I'm not going to change. I've been stuck in this frame of mind. 
I feel like the shredded painting. Can't put it back now. And do you know what I was thinking? Do you know what? There are some cases, I need to say this, there are some cases where somebody may need an outside source to help them think differently. And we're praying for mental health today. There may be situations where you need outside help. I recognize that. But to all that, and to everyone else, this is what I say. I says, this is where God takes all things and works them for the good of those who love him and are called according to his good purposes. He doesn't just take some things. Now, like, I'm going to take everything else except for the struggle you're dealing with in your mind. That's a little too heavy for me. I'm God, but I can't handle that one. No, he takes all things, all things. This is where the power of the Holy Spirit is capable and able to enable you to think differently. This is not you. This is God to enable you to think differently. So that Bansky painting that sold for $1.4 million that was shredded, that was all set up by the artist. He set it up. Someone pressed a button at the right time that shredded the painting. But they say now to the right buyer, to the right buyer, that painting is worth almost double the amount. Because if you're in the art world, sometimes it's not about the piece of art itself, but the whole moment in this case, the whole moment is art. To the right buyer, can I just tell you that God is the right buyer? And your mental health, he is able to take, take control of. And your thinking, he's able to take control of. And so he was not surprised by this, that you found yourself so stuck in your negativity that you don't know how to get out. He's not surprised by this. Before the, the earth was laid, before life began, he knew that you'd be where you are today. What if that with his power and your determination, you could be set free and delivered and it can become a whole part of his miraculous story in your life? And someone was here last week. I'm looking around, see if they were here. And they're they just visiting and they're just telling me their story. They're an alcoholic. Showed up to church drunk. Just so you know, we don't mind if they come because we want them to meet Jesus. Showed up to church drunk. Not our church, a different church. Years ago, 20, 30 years ago. Went to the altar, was prayed for, was delivered in that moment. And his wife was saying that his breath smelled differently afterwards. Never touched it again. God is able. God is able. Maybe for you, you feel shredded with negativity. You don't know where to start. Like that Banksy painting, he knew that it would happen. God knew that you'd need him. That's part of his plan to work all things for your good. It's simple as surrendering to God. Somebody need to surrender this morning. You know, I was thinking about the fact that it's icy this morning. And you people are the ones who braved it. You're like determined. I'm going to church this morning. And maybe, maybe for you the drive was simple and there was nothing. Maybe it was a little difficult, but for some reason you are here. Do you think that's an accident? I don't think so. I think there's a reason you were here today. I think there's a reason you didn't stay home. I think you needed to hear this, somebody. I was, I was reading in, in the Bible this morning, just as my own devotions, about the beggar. A beggar who was sitting at the side of the road. All of a sudden, this commotion's happening. Jesus has showed up, and there's commotion. And he's like, what's going on? And someone says, Jesus is here. He begins to cry out, Jesus! People are trying to shush him. Stop, stop, you're embarrassing. Oh, stop. And he cried out even louder, determined. 
right? Determined. Jesus! Jesus looks at him and says, what do you want me to do for you? He says, I want to see. I want to think right. I want to think positively. I want to focus on the good. I want to get out of this depression. I want to be in a good frame of mind. I want a good outlook. I want to see, he says to Jesus. I want to see. Jesus says, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. I think somebody here today needs to declare, needs to determine that they're going to set their heart and mind resolutely on, on war and cry out to God. Like, listen, practically speaking, many of us need to change our thinking. Change our thinking. We can alter, maybe take the reins back on our emotions of what we feel. We can change the way we feel. We can, we can change the way we act. But I think somebody needs to, needs to cry out to God. Somebody needs to be delivered. Somebody needs that healing moment. And I, can I just encourage you, it, it, the, the whole group that was there, it doesn't say this specifically, but it says they tried to, they tried to shush him. But this, this guy was determined. I don't care what people think. And it wasn't like Jesus was looking for him in the crowd, although we know this about Jesus. Jesus understands our thoughts. So it wasn't like Jesus was like, where's the blind man that I'm going to heal today? Um, there you are. You need healing. You know? No, Jesus is just going to a ministry. And he cries out. I think that was the declaration of war for that beggar. And I think some of you, somebody needs to declare war. You're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm in a mental fog and I can't break free. Cry out. Cry out. Your faith, your faith can unlock your healing. Your faith in God can unlock his power. I need you. I wanna see, I wanna think right. And for all of us, for all of us, we need to declare war on what we think because that is where the, the struggle is within more often than not. The struggle is within more often than not. Could you stand? We're gonna worship. We're gonna sing this song once again. And listen, I just wanna, uh, you know, we got some time. I just wanna create a quick atmosphere of, of pressing into what God can do and what God is capable of. So they're gonna lead us in that song against Sea of Victory. If you're here this morning and, you, and you're like, man, this is me and I... I can't get out of this mental state and you need, you need healing, you need deliverance. Listen, cry out to God in this moment. For all of us, can we just declare victory over our minds? Can we declare victory over our pattern of thinking as they lead us in this song? Father, we just commit this moment to you asking, Lord, I know that we're closing. I know this is the end, but I pray in the name of Jesus that this is the beginning for the state of mind, Lord, that this is the beginning for, for the declaration of war on ourselves, God. This is the beginning of changing the way we think. And so as we sing this song in the name of Jesus, I pray and I ask, Father God, that you would move powerfully in our midst to help us focus on whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, whatever is positive, in the name of Jesus, God. In the name of Jesus, God. And I know above all else, as you said, Lord, on this planet, there's no one good but God. And so help us to fix our eyes and focus on you in this moment, giving you all the glory, giving you all the praise to change the way we think in Jesus' name. Come on, church, let's just worship one last time. He's worthy of it. Let's worship one last time. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, 
weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.